It's good to see you this morning. It's July the 5th, 2020. I wasn't surprised when last night it looked like the beginning of COVID because of the holiday weekend. I'm actually more surprised to see how many of you are here today. Thank you for coming and for being here. I hope you received when, when Colleen was uh, releasing those words. Gail and I both have injuries to our right knee that I think I inflicted on us by tripping into her. So I'm, I'm, I'm receiving that. I haven't, had, uh, I haven't actually had uh, knee pain after a life of playing football, and I've managed to escape with no, no knee or joint pain from my athletic career. And uh, as an old guy, I got some. Does that just come with it? Is that just the price of admission into senior adulthood? Could be. Uh, I think the announcements are few. Uh, Holy Spirit Night uh, is Tuesday, 7 o'clock, right? 7 o'clock, yeah. <laughs> healing rooms will operate. The healing rooms will operate. So I don't know exactly all the manners of that, but, you know, uh, Jesus did a whole lot of healing speaking at a distance. So we, we can go for that too. Amen. Um, the giving, we'll put up the slide. It's the first weekend of the new fiscal year. The text to give is still there. 84321, follow the instructions, I think. How many of you have done the text to give and so that you, you know it works? A few of you. A number of you, actually. Well, thank you, and thank you for your, your faithfulness in giving. We keep the, the offering boxes are there, and uh, we're just going on. I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged by your presence this morning. Let's pray. Lord, it's your presence, your anointing, your illumination, your Holy Spirit's energies. It's you we need. It is you, Lord. And we are crying out to you. We are asking that you open our eyes, our ears. And this morning, above all, I'm asking that you'll open our heart, that we can receive one another in Jesus' name. Amen? All right. Shall I start with Scripture? Perhaps. Scripture's always good, isn't it? This morning, let me actually start with the Holy Writ from our country. In Congress, July 4th, 1776, the unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America. 
when in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal status to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitled them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind require that they should declare the causes which impel them to separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. They are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. And with that, a nation was declared and a process was inaugurated that brought into being a nation somewhat unlike any other nation had been up to that point. Um, a nation that, had, that was uh, fully an immigrant nation as it was conceived and a nation that has, uh, as we know right now, been working out what it means to make a covenant that was made as the one that I read to you. So I'm gonna talk about that this morning. I'm gonna go, um, anybody who heard me last night, you're, you're not gonna hear the same thing, so. I'm, I'm eager this morning for unity in Jesus. I'm eager for unity in Jesus. Because in the midst of this declaration, I actually live by these words, and I am a citizen of a nation conceived in the liberty of the Holy Spirit, conceived in the heart of God, and a, a nation that is made up of citizens of every people group on earth. And I'm eager for unity in Jesus. I'll read it again to you. These words, I therefore, prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Hallelujah. Are those words not pertinent this morning? Is it not found even in that opening document of our nation that our, that our nation had a calling to which it was called? And we are being reminded of the fact that that nation didn't walk it out so worthily in its, in its opening days. Guess what? Sounds a lot like the Jesus people to me. Yes? Why are we exhorting people to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which they've been called? Why are we exhorting them? Because they don't always do it. Because they have to learn to do it. Because there's a lots of failure in the doing it. With all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. I've been on this passage a, a bit 
probably, we're going to be on it this morning. I'm not going to get off of it this morning. And I'm not going to fully get finished with it this morning. And I'm going to talk about things uh, in, in a way that th- that's not easy for any of us, myself included. I'm going to go ahead and read. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And then just to be sure, okay. I, uh, I have some, some other ways I want to proceed. This, this declaration of independence was, um, as I was reminded last night by one of our members, actually presented a couple of days before that. And then it was uh, debated, but it was voted on and approved on the 4th. Words were, words were omitted. But it was interesting because it was a national covenant. Interesting thing about nations and an interesting thing about our identity is that every one of us are seeking to purge ourselves from the stain of the, of the unworthy walking. It's what nations do. I'm gonna assert as I stand here that there's no example of a nation on earth that hadn't been through some really ugly chapters in their history to get where they are. What we're doing right now is we're still being called up. You heard a couple of weeks ago from Pastor Charlie, uh, and, I'll, and I'll say he did some things I cannot do because he is a person that I am not. I'm serious. He, 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 he described himself to you uh, in, in, the, in, his, in, in his empathetic nature. And then out of that, He made an appeal to you. When you start talking about these things, anywhere along the line, the reality is that uh, because they touch the body politic, you run the risk of alienating the people you love the most. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna ask you this morning as I speak to suspend alienation. At least a couple days, shoot me tomorrow. I discovered something lately. For years and years, I've been very, uh, um, I've been diligent about uh, uh, speaking a narrative in which I have said party politics are salvation narratives that fall short of the gospel. Say it again. Party politics are salvation narratives that fall short of the gospel. Party politics diagnose the human problem and then diagnose the avenues through which we can be saved from the problem. I've for years maintained that partisan politics is, is, not, is not the gospel and is not helpful 
and it's not the basis of our unity. I've known a lot of churches that have intentionally made party politics the basis of their unity. It simply isn't so here and it hasn't been so here from the beginning. Now, as soon as some people hear that, they go, I don't understand that because there are people who believe that there are, there are platforms in the various parties that no Christian could affirm. And to that, I'll say yes in both directions. And, here, and yet here we are. So I would ask you that if you believe that your, your party has described a narrative that is in total unity with the gospel of Jesus Christ, I want you to look closer. I would entreat you to look closer. Surely Jesus has called us higher than what you've experienced in partisan politics. And so when I say that, because we're going to talk about unity. Here's something I've noticed. I mean, like one of the functional reasons for refusing um, to be overtly partisan is just the reality that I don't really want to divide with people uh, over things that we can actually have constructive disagreements with each other about and maintain our love. Did you know that you can actually be married to somebody who votes for the opposite party and your marriage can last. I hope we have some of those in the church, frankly. Both parties accuse the other party of partnering with death. Both parties accuse the other party of, of, of partnering with lies. You and I don't live there. All right, I'm saying that because I think the Christian gospel is a critique of, it, the, the Christian gospel is a salvation narrative and it's above all salvation narratives and it critiques every other salvation narrative. Thus, when recently I delved into a moment of critiquing our president, I immediately stepped into the world of alienating friends. And frankly, I was like, but I shouldn't be at this point. I was a little bit shocked by it because I've read the book of Ephesians and I've read the president's Twitter feed. <laughs> they don't match. Recently, in the midst of the problems that were going on in our country, another salvation narrative has arisen a subset salvation narrative in a movement called Black Lives Matter. I found myself uh, at dis-ease on speaking those words. I asked myself, why are you at dis-ease of saying those words? Those words express a truth because black lives do matter. But I found that the association of those words, I decided to look it up. I just decided. I went online, looked it up, went on, went on the, uh, the BLM um, uh, website. And I noticed, first of all, that they actually have a credo, a statement of belief. It's not, a, it's not like these are the things we stand for. It's a credo. This is what we believe. And 
Uh, like the president's Twitter feed, I found a whole lot to object to. A whole lot. I found it to be a critique of, of, of my faith. And I found it to be a deconstruction of my faith. And I knew that for me, I won't go there. And then, and so here I am going, okay, did I lose more friends just then like that? Because we're gospel people and our union is in a deeper, higher place. And our union, uh, let, me, let me read to you where we've been in the, in the recent weeks. Is everybody okay? I mean, look, guys, this is painful. It's no wonder uh, Charlie stood up and wept as he spoke to you. I'm not as likely to do that. I do sometimes. I'm, I, I told Charlie after I got back, I said, when I was five, I stepped in a fire ant hill. I have a whole different view of ants. <laughs> and, it's a, and it depicts a temperament and, and, and personality difference. But the passion and the, is just as deep. The compassion is just as real. And the care for one another is just as profound because it's rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm gonna tell you something. I didn't know anything about how to love my neighbor who was other than I in terms of skin tone until Jesus came into my life. I'd love to tell you that I was raised without any prejudice. It's a lie. I'd love to tell you that I didn't care any. any. It's a lie. I've confessed it to you a bunch of times. I was so glad when people started saying, uh, don't say you don't see color because I've always seen color. And so have you. Hallelujah. And here we are. The calling to which we've been called. Now here's what's interesting. What do you do about a nation that's conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal that doesn't live that out very well initially. What do you do with that nation? And that's actually the debate that's going on inside of our souls right now. That's actually the debate that's going on in our streets right now. And there is a critique of the nation that says because of its systemic failure to live up to its original covenant, burn it down. That's one, that's one salvation narrative or one piece of, of, that, of that salvation narrative. I have always seen it another way. I'll, I'll just tell you how I, how I do see this thing. First of all, anybody who, well, first of all, history, I've told you many, many times, history is not as flat and clean as we act like it is. And for us to inject ourselves into another place in history and propose how we would have acted, we don't have any idea. And we're wrong. Now, does that excuse and make right those things which are wrong? No more than it makes right what I do that's wrong. But it's an interesting thing that a nation was conceived with grievances against its mother nation 
And then it put in its original covenant the language that gave a basis for future grievances to be addressed. That's phenomenal among nations. That's unheard of among nations. You don't burn that down. That's a wonderful gift. You do call the nation to adherence to it. And there have been iterations of it. Maybe I will. We got to get this thing healed. Some more. But how grateful I am to have received an inheritance of a nation that put ideals in its founding to which its citizens could call it to obey. You don't have that in totalitarian regimes. You don't have that even where monarchs reign and rule. That is only found where people derive their authority to reign from the consent of the of the people. It's been pointed out, and I started to read it, but my time's going to run out quickly, that um, Jefferson was aware of what he was saying. And inside of the original Declaration of Independence, he wrote a 168-word critique of slavery, which got omitted in the, in the, in the final draft. For political reasons, because that's how things are done in, in, in human affairs. And sometimes, the, sometimes compromise is the means. However, it brought untold suffering, did it not? That untold suffering was critiqued aptly by Lincoln when in his inaugural address, he spoke of the judgment of God that we invoked on ourselves by those words and by being called into alignment with those words. So when I see, so when I see something like this, I want to tell you, we have, we have a couple of lines of critique going on in our nation right now. One of them is from the left and the far left, and it says, you got to destroy the thing. And this is why, and it's been hard for me to understand. When things are happening, I, I look at that and I go, I can't understand that. There, when you see something you don't understand, if the only thing you do is amp up the outrage, you're not helping the matter. Ask the question, what's going on? Why is this here? So I've been perplexed at the, at the removal of, at the removal of the, some, of the, some of the statues and, and some of the things I'm like, why that? And one of the critiques that's been made of the people that are removing it is that they're ignorant. And for some, it may be true. But the interviews on the streets have indicated otherwise. They're actually saying something much stronger than you imagine. There is a line of argumentation in our streets that is saying, destroy what we have. It's a critique that's been inside our nation for a while now. And I, and I have um, reacted to it. And I'm going to call it out what it is. 
I still have the advantage of being old and COVID is here and all this stuff is here and who knows, the whole thing may fall apart. But speak from conscience, conviction, informed by scripture. When Charlie spoke, he said, Alan can come fix what I say. Charlie and I have some disagreements, but guess what? We have disagreements about stuff we've never actually fully discussed before because we haven't been forced to do it. There hadn't been a compelling reason to do it. And because categories are being given to us that we go, I've never even thought about that. So I've spent a whole lot of time looking into categories and critiques and why are people saying this and what do they mean by this? I cannot look at the words of the founding fathers and say, words matter. The words of the scripture say, words matter. If I don't listen to people and say, what are they saying without understanding words matter and that those words have content. And so there are some salvation narratives inside our nation that I profoundly reject and think are destructive. I've been thinking it for a long time, but I haven't investigated it well enough. I've been telling you, I've been telling you that in the education system, I preached a sermon about this where I told you in the, in the education system, there's a kind of these um, Avenues of thought. One of these avenues of thought is that social justice is the vanguard of existence. It's the telos. It's the purpose for being. It's the eschatology of an educational system. That's on, that's actually on the left. That's actually on the left so far. It ran around the left. And it's been interesting because I've noticed a number of classical liberals. Classical liberalism is, whether you like it or not, a pursuit of truth. It's a pursuit of truth based on empirical evidence and reason. And it's supplanted in most of our educational institutions, revelation as the foundation for existence. This is a truth, this has happened. Our nation, most of its education systems began with uh, truth by, rev by divine revelation as the foundation. And oh, by the way, the hints of that are in the Declaration of Independence when you start invoking God's name or invoking God or invoking a creator. You are operating out of the vestiges of, of the divine revelation. How do we know this about man? It's in divine revelation. How do we know that we are endowed by our creator with certain inalienable rights? It's in the book of Genesis. It's in the image of God in man. It's in the nobility of humanity. But anyway, I'm coming back. So revelation was the foundation for education in all of our, our higher, almost all of them. And then it was supplanted by reason and the pursuit of truth. What's happening now in our nation is that reason is being supplanted by ideology. And it's happening at a very fast pace. Please, Hear me, think on it, pray on it, struggle through it, understand it. 
These are really important things. So again, when you, the particular ideology of our educational institutions that's finding ascendancy is social justice. Now, I want you to hear about this issue. Do you understand social justice? Because I would dare say most of us don't understand it. There's a category in the scripture called justice. There's no category for social justice in your Bible. Language matters. Words matter. And so you go, well, what is this? Social justice, usually not always. Because words are fluid. There's a lot of people who simply use social justice when what they mean is justice for all. That's really what they mean. But in the academy and in the body politic, Social justice means a kind of a justice that is predicated upon outcomes. And it normally means redistributive justice. And in that means, it has an affinity for and some uh, relationship to um, socialism. America has forms of democratic socialism in the way we operate. It's called mercy. It's called love for one another. But socialism in its Marxist forms, oh, it's really destructive. All right, are you getting this? Now let me come back to justice. Justice is a Bible word and basically it goes like this. If you don't act justly, you're going to answer to the one who is justice. Every prophet called Israel to justice. God calls us to justice. And wonderfully, when Martin Luther King made a critique of segregationism and Jim Crow in the 60s, his critique was based on the biblical basis of justice. Would to God that that's what we were being critiqued on now. We, could, we, we, we can deal with that. I noticed, because I did a little work here, I always do. Steve Stewart, whose life is dedicated to justice. Impact Nations, whose work is dedicated to justice. I, on purpose, pulled down his book, When Everything Changes, and word searched it. The word justice is in there and the word social is in there from time to time, but not together because he understands that the biblical framework of justice is a different matter than the, than the body politic issue of social justice. Social justice is an ideology determined to shape outcomes in a way that will cause coercive government function. Let me go further. Y'all okay? Any canaries died in the mine yet? <laughs> Last night I asked him, I said, can we talk about politics? And we never actually did. Today we're getting it done. Today we're getting it done. The way this justice thing works is it works really well as it did when 
Frederick, just, Fred, Frederick Douglass, what a man. Look, what a man. Did what is wise to do. And that is, he used the language in the original covenant of the nation to call the nation back to its, to call the nation to itself. I want you to hear him. Fellow citizens, I'm not wanting in respect for the fathers of this republic. The signers of the Declaration of Independence were brave men. They were great men too. Great enough to give frame to a great age. It does not often happen to a nation to raise at one time such a number of truly great men. Those are the words of a, of a slave or a former slave. The point from which I am compelled to view them is not certainly the most favorable, and yet I cannot contemplate their great deeds with less than admiration. They were statesmen, patriots, heroes, and for the good they did and the principle they contended for, I will unite with you to honor their memory. He goes on later, fellow citizens, pardon me, allow me to ask why I am called on to speak here today. What have I or those I represent to do with your national independence? Are the great principles of political freedom and of natural justice embodied in that Declaration of Independence extended to us? Am I therefore called upon to bring our humble offering to the national altar and to confess the benefits and express devout gratitude for the blessings resulting from your independence to us? I think you know the answer to that one, right? Goes on, would to God both for your sakes and ours, that an affirmative answer could be truly returned to these questions. Then would my task be light and my burden easy and delightful. For who is there so cold that a nation's sympathy would not warm him? Who so obdurate and dead to the claims of gratitude that would not thankfully acknowledge such priceless benefits? Who so stolid and selfish that would not give his voice to swell the hallelujahs of a nation's jubilee when the chains of servitude had been torn from his limbs? I am not that man. In a case like that, the dumb might eloquently speak and the lame man leap as a heart. But such is not the case, I say. And I say it with a sad sense of disparity between us. I'm not included within the pale of glorious anniversary. Your high independence only reveals the immeasurable distance between us. The blessing in which you this day rejoice are not enjoyed in common. The rich inheritance of justice, liberty, prosperity, and independence bequeathed by your fathers is shared not by me. The sunlight that brought light and healing to you has brought stripes and death to me. The fourth is yours, not mine. You may rejoice, I must mourn. Frederick Douglass, July 5th, 1852. Incredible. What is this man doing? My dear wife, we talk about this all the time. He is making an appeal to those in authority based on their best good and on their own words. He is making a moral appeal. And moral appeals cannot go unrequited Words are the most powerful thing in the world. Your Pentecostal brethren sometimes make that thing look pale, but oh, I want you to know something. Those Pentecostal brethren are onto something. Words create worlds. 
And God ennobled human creatures in his divine image with words whereby we could shape our discourse and our function together. And there would be no unity of the spirit and no bond of peace were it not possible for us by words to entreat one another and call forth the best from one another with a prophetic utterance that creates a great one new man between us all. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I warn you, and this is the hour in which we stand as a nation. If you want to intercede for your nation, you need to know something. We are reaching a point in this nation and some have already gone beyond that point at which they have decided that words fail. And when in the course of human interactions, words fail, nothing but violence ensues. And you and I must not allow it. Which means our trite and momentary disagreements should not break our bonds with one another, that bond of peace that was forged by the Holy Spirit and not because we all said the right words. Come on, church. I'm... Angry at the prospect that those with whom I have shared table, those with whom I have shared the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, those with whom I have shared the glorious gift of Jesus' redemption and forgiveness, that those with whom I have shared such precious things might find themselves in a moment of political hotness, divided in a way that would cause us to turn our backs on one another. May it never be. Humility, humility. So hard forged when you think you're right. And I think it every day, all day. Words, words, words. They matter so much. This is the day at which instead of getting angry at the one you're speaking to, ask them what they meant. At least if we come to a place of distance, let it be on the basis of understanding and not assumption and misunderstanding. How are we doing? I really love you. And I'm really running out of time and I hadn't even started. I'm going to raise my voice about one ideology that has become the supreme ideology that is in danger of robbing us. It's an ideology based in identity. I don't have the text up there, but I'm going to read it to you because I added it to my notes. The basis of the... You see, Paul, when... When he's working on this unity thing, oh, you've got to understand something. He's working on it. He can't get himself away from it. Okay, we're in chapter four. You go back to chapter two, but now in Jesus. Say in Jesus. I'll say it the right way. It actually says now in Christ Jesus. Say that. 
You who were once far off have been brought near. How? By the blood of Christ. Now, I'm going to tell you something. There can be no national unity if there is no basis upon which forgiveness can be offered because humans cannot create a unity based on our failed actions. We will not be able to create the unity that we seek. And that is why there's a critique being done of our nation that is based in unforgiveness and you have to be destroyed. You have to be eliminated. That is, if not eliminated in physical person, eliminated from access to public discourse. And oh, it's happening, folks. Oh, it's happening. For he himself is our peace. And made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Okay, so let's touch it. I'm talking about identity politics. It's a giant. Now, now don't get me wrong. There's a form of identity politics on the right and on the left politically. On the right, there's a form of identity politics that's rooted in blood and nationalism, which is a different beast from... from uh, from, from patriotism and love of country. Nationalism is a worship of nations and it's an ungodly sin. We can have that discussion another day. On the right, identity politics is rooted in the blood in your veins and it finds its expression in white supremacy. On the left, identity politics is rooted in Carving up a political, uh, or a, yes, a political identity for yourself of grievance that allows you to claim a space for um, political favoritism. And it's a brand new animal in our world. It started with just a simple expression of manners. So every time I would complain about political correctness, somebody would say, it's just Christian manners. Well, I want you to know that the beast of Christian manners has grown into a demonic power that has no interest in you whatsoever and requires you to deny your identity in order to make room for that identity. Now, I ain't gonna mess around about this. I ain't gonna be nice. I ain't gonna give in. But you can talk to me and tell me I'm wrong. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to go after this thing. Listen, so understand, the unity that was created, as I go on and read this text, he, 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 he broke down the, in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, abolishing the law and commandments as expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace. The creation of one new man means a whole different beast was created. And it's an interesting thing. It's not a beast that you can look at and identify. Because, because it's in the Holy Spirit and because it's in Jesus. And so you and I in our worldview, we understand, we understand our unity 
not based on our physical immutable identities or even those that we say are mutable. Because there's a lot of debate about uh, mutable and immutable uh, uh, characteristics, which I'll have to unpack that on another day. For instance, I'll be very clear. I'll be very clear. The acrostic LGBTQ plus is, is identity politics. And it's rooted in carved out identities that never existed before Freud. I'm just telling you the truth. They never existed. There's always been people who participated in, in desires that they carried, but, that, that, but their desires were not their identity. So we've created an identity rooted in our internal experience. It's been created. Yeah, I stepped on that demon. Y'all don't have to deal with me on that. I just stepped on it. I can love people without, I can love people without endorsing everything they say. And I remember when the spirit of intimidation came upon me over speaking about uh, the issue of homosexuality. If I were speaking this sermon in Canada right now, I'd be in some danger. Because what has happened is people who have carved out these identities are also wanting to reject their nation. They're not wanting to critique the nation and call the nation to a higher place. Not all of them. There's a group of them that want to deny, destroy, and rebuild the nation. Which, by the way, did happen in the formation of this nation. And this battle, is, this, this struggle, this situation hasn't nearly found its end. People, there's a lot of people say, well, I don't want to feel this uncomfortable when I go to church. Neither do I. That's why, that's why never mind. <laughs> About to say something terrible to get me in trouble. I'm going to finish. Listen, nobody's going to tell me who I can love and not love. I can love people. So when members of my own physical family hear me preach things like this, and their question is, do you still love me? I'm like, have you ever gotten anything else from me? But, but saying yes to every, a person's every desire, if that's the definition of love, then I ain't very loving at all. And neither are you. So let me speak about that a minute. And my wife is stressing out because I'm going a little long. I'm gonna, I'll probably read the most controversial thing I've read to you. I'm reading to you from a, um, an article uh, by a man um, named uh, Joshua Mitchell. He's written an article called A Godless Great Awakening. Which basically says that identity politics creates a great awakening in a culture 
without God. But it's interesting because, listen, all of the themes of religious faith are there. I told you this a long time ago. I told you a long time ago that, that progressive ideologies were actually religious faiths. And I indicated um, a piece of that when I, when I mentioned the credo of Black Lives Matters. He writes, for Americans to cover themselves in the fig leaf of innocence today, as Adam did in the Garden of Eden, whiteness itself must be vilified, especially if you are white, but not necessarily. University presidents and CEOs have been the first in line to purchase this cheap redemption which does nothing to solve our problems. Citizens, too, have done this. Only in the world of identity politics does saying, quote, Black Lives Matter, end quote, cover you with innocence so that you can sleep well at night. If, on the other hand, you're a Christian and you know that the wounds from slavery have not yet healed in America, you know that declaring, quote, Black Lives Matter, end quote, is akin to Adam in the garden of Eden covering his nakedness with a declaration of his own innocence. If sin brought slavery to America, then no fig leaf declaration that black lives matter will undo whatever wounds remain. A wound that originates in the darkness of heart of man must also be healed there. Much more than fig leaves are necessary. Identity politics provides a cheap shortcut to redemption, a fig leaf that hides man from his own darkened heart. Say this and you'll be counted among the cleansed. Nothing could be further from the truth. The diagnosis is serious. We got a heart problem. I've told you that words are amazingly important. That's why when I look at the words that I'm being asked to say, I ask, what do they mean? And what am I partnering with? And I would ask you to do the same thing. But more than that, more than that, I'm going to accept the challenge given to me by my brother and fellow pastor to not make cheap grace of a heart and of a nation that has not yet cleansed its wounds and has yet more work to do. And that's as worthy as as much clapping as the thing about the nation was. That's, that's worthy. We've got to get this thing right. When I actually looked into the incarceration rates of black Americans, my heart did not go to the blame of them for that problem. My heart went to the there is something wrong. And let's get this one fixed the same as we had to get those others fixed with great cost and great pain. But oh my goodness, let's not compromise our original covenant as a nation. Let's magnify it and call on it and enter into it. And in the process, you and I understand that you and I have a much higher covenant rooted in higher promises and greater things I, therefore, prisoner of the Lord, 
urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love. And yeah, that means even if my brothers and sisters do things that I think are awful, humility and gentleness and patience and bearing with one another in love because I'm eager to maintain what's been given to me and to understand that the way it's been given to me is by the sacrifice and suffering of Christ and the basis of what we have is on a higher basis than what the founding fathers have because the basis of what we have is the blood of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness that comes to us when we come to ourselves and say, oh God, what have I done? Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And I, like my brother Charlie, will say to you, if you have misunderstood me, please ask me. Because I want to be called to higher things. And I want to be called to the gospel. And I want to live in otherness with Jesus. Even if it causes me to be out of favor with the body politic of man to which I do not belong. Here endeth the lesson. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. And now we're gonna receive the table of the Lord. But let me pray for you before we do because Steve's gonna come and lead us. So let me get it said. I love you with all my heart. I want our nation to heal. I won't, partner, I won't partner with ideologies that want to destroy the nation. I won't partner with ideologies that fall short of the gospel. But I will love people who do both those things. Even as Jesus taught us, love your enemies too. This is, this is the gospel. Y'all okay? So Father, come and in your Holy Spirit's energies, wash us, renew us, heal us, help us. Father, bring wise and morally authoritative people into the city centers to speak words of life and who by their presence carry such an authority that peace would surround them and that they would create environments of peace where there's wild discord. You can do it, Lord. You can do it. The Spirit of Christ is upon us. And if he is upon us to heal the wounded knee, is it not upon us to heal the wounded nation? I want to heal nations, Lord. I want to heal Albuquerque. I want to heal New Mexico. I want to heal nations, Lord. I want to heal this nation. I want to be sown into the nations for their good. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Steve, come.